I think one of the best utilities, this terror situation, how bad it is in itself, is to show people in a short time frame what hyperinflation is, what happened to Venezuela, what happened to Zimbabwe in a matter of days, weeks, happened in a few hours, then this algorithmic system simulated to a grand scale and what's slowly happening to the US dollar. Good, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are actually in the world. Thank you for tuning in to the new edition of Social Compost. I'm Shalit together with Diego. How are you doing, man? Doing good. I gotta say, you look bright today. All that energy yeah. at the back end with the drumming to the, the <laughs> intro song. Haven't seen you this energetic in a while. Yeah, that means one. I slept well. Two, I'm, I'm pumped to, to do it again. So I think, I think all in all, it's a good thing, right? But I wouldn't say it was my most prepared show ever or anything like that. Uh, but I'm just happy and excited to, to do a brand new social conference. And actually just, just the two of us, of course, that's going to come to an end very soon because we will have guests on coming on to new episodes, but yeah, we should definitely do a recap of what has gone on uh, in the past week. Don't you think? Uh, yeah, there's been uh, quite some developments. We touched on a few things last week, but obviously things elaborated more. So I, I think a few things, uh, like maybe if, if you look at uh, one thing that's popular, um, you mentioned, uh, I haven't been following it re- lately, was the, the, the trial between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Funny that you mentioned that. The, the only way I know about it is through Twitch streamers are actually watching that reacting to that content oh really oh really so that's a thing so, yeah so we, we we could dive into that in a bit on reaction content and especially how streamers set up i i found it quite intriguing having found more streamers lately and how they i guess interact it's quite different from YouTube. So it's quite interesting. Is it now? And in what sense is it different from YouTube? Because here's, here's my interest. I think one of the things that makes streaming interesting is the engagement levels. Like, I feel like where kind of streaming is winning from mainstream television at the moment is that with mainstream television, it's like, it's all set in stone. Everything is kind of scripted. It's like, these are the questions that's going to be asked. These are the answers that are going to be given. Whereas with streaming, first of all, there's a surprise element. There's something that could happen, but also you as a viewer get to interact and the presenter even responds to those questions, those comments that you make. Is it that kind of thing that you're find interesting in Twitch or is it something else that you find interesting? I, I guess let's put up, put in some context first. So obviously. At least for me, the, the first thing when you think about Twitch, when you think about streaming is video games, right? But the, the most yeah. popular game, section, game, yeah. the most popular section is actually the just chatting section, the category and the just chatting category is basically streamers just literally chatting with their chat, either watching a video, reacting to something or just in a room or an, uh, in I, I had a, 
IRL stream as they go on the streets with a camera on and they literally just live stream what they're doing and interact with their chat. So this that, is, this, since this is going to be a segment, I'm going to do a little dive into it because this is going to be a segment in my book. I quickly want to address this. So back in, I don't think 2015, I started uh, researching traffic, like website traffic in Suriname, like which were yeah, yeah. visited websites. Now, put in caution because I used Alexa and Alexa simply didn't have all the data, but they were collecting data. And well, till this day, Alexa is being used to track data and in official reports for We Are uh, Hootsuite and We Are Social, like statistics that even I use to get uh, a good grip of uh, what's the social landscape or the online landscape in Suriname, they use Alexa as well. Just for clarity, Alexa not referencing to Amazon, right? Alexa. Well, Alexa.com, I'm not sure if Amazon the bottom as well, but at least they were the tracking website. You, I think things, a lot of things happen, but Alexa.com used to be the, the ranking sites for the world. Like if you wanted to know how's your website been ranking worldwide, but also in your country, you would use Alexa and Alexa would give you a global rank. Like uh, your website is the fifth million most visited website over the past three months. And then you would, could also get like in Suriname, your website is the uh, thousand most visited website in Suriname. I mean, the data wasn't complete, but at least there was data. And in 2016, I think I started doing Alexa, like traffic uh, as well. And I was like, so I was like going through the top 50 websites, I think top 50 or top 100 websites in, in Suriname. Uh, at one point, I, you could view the top 200 list this website, but at a certain point, it became top 50. You could only see the top 50. So I was going through that list. And of course, there are a lot of adult content sites in that list as well. So is, is of, this public data or is it like behind the paywall? It's, it's public data. It's okay. mostly public data. So what social, we are social and Hootsuite did recently, I think like in 2020, they decided to take those adult websites out of those lists from country because it was very, you know, like they were publishing the list of the 50 most visited websites in the Netherlands. And then there would be like five to 10 adult content sites on that list. They were like, ah, and probably they got some feedback from it. So they removed all the adult content websites from the list. So in 2016, there was like this website for sure now which was called Chatterbait. And I had never heard of Chatterbait. And you have you heard of Chatterbait? So no, I haven't. Okay, so you have heard of Chat Roulette, right? Which is basically roulette with people chatting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Chatterbait is basically chat and Chatterbait, it makes sense. You know what the, what the word is that stands next to it. And this is actually a website where there's a lot of adult, it's basically adult content, but the, the creators, the streamers, they earn tokens from their streams and they can award people. So people can pay with tokens and they have to do a certain thing. And they have like a tip menu. And if you tip a certain thing, they have to do the thing that you tip for. So basically it's kind of like. Yeah. So just to bring back that to Twitch, kind of Twitch also has these mechanism built in like channel. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even TikTok, like I know it, it's, it's insane that I'm going from an adult website to TikTok, but even TikTok also has these tokens and coins that you can give to creators. YouTube has tokens and coins that you, well, YouTube actually has real money because they have a subscription 
style uh, layout where you can actually, I have to research a little bit because I'm in a partner program now and there are these options that I just haven't looked at yet where you can actually have memberships, so paid memberships and people can pay to have like a little logo next to the name and those kind of things. So it's kind of the Patreon style. I'm a Patreon, I pay every month and it's kind of be embedded in different layers on different creator platforms. And like on the, the website, generally, they also have like a lot of people, of course, some of the people are really like really graphic content, but there are also people that are just chatting. And it's kind of this weird kind of thing where like on Twitch, it's kind of more like the, even the PG-13 or the, but some sometimes it's really also like uh, a way to attract viewers, to monetize the viewers later. So yes. it's kind of weird kind of where you have to decide like, am I doing it to get a much, a lot of traction and do I monetize it through merch or something else? Uh, do I just want to grow my following that I have a big following and trans transfer them also to integrate them with my other socials or is it just straight up for the money I'm streaming to get paid and this is kind of my day job and my viewers also know that it's kind of my day job. So I think that's this really weird dynamic that, that we're in. So coming back to that on Twitch, so uh, the, the day job part or the job part. So if you look at the metrics, at least the top earners are like, it's a small percentage, like any other platform. It is a very small percentage. Like most of the viewers go to like, you know, one of the top 10, if you see like a thousand, between a thousand and 10,000 concurrent viewers, you are in the, the high ranks of uh, Twitch. And that, that is a, a big number as well. Right. So, and if you look at kind of draw that parallel back to traditional media, these individuals or these streamers are kind of entertainers to a certain degree. Right. So those who've like monetized capital and capitalized on that, it is a main source of income, but from what I've seen, at least a few of them I followed, they started as, you know, an expression of self. And that personality kind of drew a certain crowd and that just grew over time. And many, it took at least three, four, five years before they actually got into that position. So it, it's, it's quite interesting because Twitch also takes a big cut of those payments. So they monetize through donations or through other types of merchandise as well. Interesting thing. Now, now that you mentioned it, since now actually I do want to stream this, this show back on Twitch as well. And, and since you're uh, allowing me to go and do it on my channel, I might even do that because I think that's, it, it would work. I mean, you use Twitch for gaming. Uh, I don't currently use Twitch. So it's an interesting uh, dynamic to see if that works. Like for instance, I, I, we don't stream this on my YouTube because my YouTube is in Dutch. And for you, it's perfect because it's the main thing that pops up when you go to your channel. And to get back to the part that you mentioned, because it's interesting, you say like they, they can be themselves and they're kind of the channel grows from there. It's often the personality. Like, is it an interesting, is it an interesting personality? Yeah. Personality about and actually yeah. the acknowledgement and engagement towards the chat that yeah. kind of lets keep people come back. Yeah. And you got to develop thick skin to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, you don't have to like on our, on our other podcast, on the Lucky D show, we have like some people that it's like, I feel like sometimes they come into fan 
Like they have want to take something off their chest and they yeah. want to let it know. And in most cases, we, we pop it on, on screen. We don't always have time to go into it, but we do pop it on, on screen to let them know like, hey, we saw the comment. Whereas some people just come and like, they put nasty comments, like complaining all the time. And at certain points you're like, wait, but why are you watching this video? If you're not satisfied with the content on the other side, there are people like that who just tune into streamers channels just to yeah. But on the other hand, there are some very valid comments. So if you, if you, as a, as a streamer, if you are like neglecting completely what's being said by the viewers and the comments that are coming in, if you completely neglect neglecting, they will come back for it. But if you actually engage in even if you differ from opinion, go into the topic, they might, they might respond and actually stay, which brings me to a comment that came in. Raul wants to know what's the topic today. So how would we frame a conversation that we were having, having today? So basically we're having some developments, updates of the week and how we got into this conversation on Twitch and streaming is basically, I explained to Jean-Luc the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial that's going on right now. The way I found out was through, through stream to Twitch and to other streamers reacting to it. So that's kind of how we rabbit hole into this discussion on how streaming content has evolved over the years and if it's a viable platform to, for creators as well. And yeah. Is it evenly distributed for opportunity? I don't know, but there's a community for everything. The interesting part is, especially uh, the just chatting part being so huge, that, that, that was quite interesting for me. And it's huge and different, even in the just chatting part, there's many different categories within that itself. So like I mentioned the IRL streams, I think last year there was a meta going around that people had bathtub streams. Like I have no idea how that, but every other streamer, even the gaming streamers were mentioning, yeah, uh, maybe we should do a bathtub stream or something. <laughs> so it's quite interesting. Uh, just to, this, to the degree that it's still safer work. I, can we say it would be something like current trends and, and, and. I, I think, that, I think know, it's when a popular streamer does something, they try something very random or hasn't been done on the platform and they get reactions The others try to copy it because it, it's like setting a trend, right? Just to get traction there. Like, oh, they did it. What kind of spin can we give to it? I think that's how you could see it as well. Yeah. Yeah, because from, from the, the depth hurt situation, there is a very interesting thing that happened, which is the whole USD Terra Luna situation. So can we dive in? Do you feel like we're kind of hitting the bottom of the bear market already, or are we still a couple of months out? I'm hesitant to say, I make, make a prediction. I, I think it's safer to just observe what's happening. So let, let's state some facts. I think that the last peak, if, if we lay out the trajectory from the last year, like this, around this year, we had the peak. And I think a few weeks later, you had the first dip. And then in October, November, it spiked up again. And now we're going down again. I won't necessarily say we're bottoming out yet because 
it's hard to define when a bear and bull market start because the, the, the charts, the statistics that you see is always lagging behind market sentiment, right? People act first and that gets reflected on the charts, the, the indexes, the data. So data is always lagging on action. So that's one part I would say that's kind of interesting. Other than that, the Luna Terra situation kind of triggered a huge sell-off, right? The, the, what happened to Luna and Terra for the folks listening in to give you context what Luna and, and Terra are, Terra is a, is a, I think it's a separate chain, a separate ecosystem and they introduced a algorithmic stablecoin. So a stablecoin like a USDC, USD Tether, the high fact dollar is kind of a representation of one US dollar in fiat currency. And Terra was an experiment on having this done algorithmically. And so what happened when a huge sell-off happened, this triggered like, how do I say this? Kind of a hyperinflation, right? Yeah. So basically one USD, US dollar Terra, it's supposed to be back to one US dollar and it's supposed to be backed by assets equivalent to that. Just like the USDT and USDC are supposedly backed by assets or US dollars in a certain vault. But because there was a huge sudden sell-off, this triggered the algorithm to kind of try to maintain that system because the price dropped below $1 and to try to maintain that, it created extra liquidity of um, Terra because that's what you exchange for the USD. And so it's like money printed go brr on steroids. So the supply within a few hours, like double, tripled, quadrupled, and this caused the, they call it a death spiral, like the, the price going infinitely down until it converts to zero. And that kind of destroyed the, the the Terra ecosystem and those holding Terra. So people went from millions to just zero in a matter of hours. And that impacted the larger crypto market because Terra had a vault of Bitcoin that they bought, I think a month ago, like $10 billion of Bitcoin. And they had to insert that to try and stabilize the algorithm, but it didn't work. So there was a huge sell-off of, of Bitcoin again that caused a huge spike in Bitcoin. So all the markets are correlated to that, kind of go with that. Are there other examples? Like I, I've seen other examples of stablecoin completely going to zero as well, because this is basically a mechanism. And yeah, so far it's, it's proven that the mechanism doesn't work. They, they can't keep the pack. And that seems to be the flaw with this kind so, of decentralized model. So talk, uh, it's, yeah. let, let's talk about the mechanism, which is why last week I was interested in, you know, Feel free to again. talk about the mechanism because I'm going to try to improve my internet connection for a second. Sure. So last week we talked about the high back dollar, like increasing their APR by staking or holding it to 20%, right? And if we look anchor, the anchor protocol was built on Terra was a way to stake your uh, coins and they had a very high interest rate on return. And you could see it like 
that was being heavily subsidized. Instead of, you know, using that money to go into marketing, they subsidized, kind of artificially inflated those rates to attract people using the 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 platform to a short degree. So that's kind of how they could support those high interest rates. And over time, those interest rates, uh, you know, get less and less and less. And as more users come in, it gets less interesting. So people got liquidated who, who, who held those positions. So their kind of holdings went to zero. So while they were trying to make a quick, yeah, relatively quick return on their holdings, it went to zero because it was kind of part of the whole mechanism that imploded on itself. Yeah. So that's one part of it. And people are at least Twitter, people are kind of looking at this event, like, uh, is it going to be a like BitConnect event that happened in 2017, 2018 that people shrug it off or is it, you know, um, going to have leave a larger imprint on the larger crypto world. It's an experiment because I think the founder even did, they want to try and reboot the project. So is it going to last? I don't think so. Stable coins are tricky. Yeah, I think I'm back. I think, I think this is yeah. much better. I don't know what happened exactly. So the question I wanted to ask, did you own any Luna? No, I did not. Okay. I did not, but just for fun, since I threw like a few dollars as, as it crashed, just as a. At what point, at what point in the crash did you buy it? Just I don't, I, I don't even remember, but it's zero now. Then <laughs> 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 that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, it was already down like 99%. And from that 99% down, yeah. it was, it's down 99% again. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, don't chase, uh, cloud, don't, don't chase. So that, that was just, you know, a, that, that was literally a gamble, like, get uh, yeah, no real search whatsoever, just some, something in there. It has kind of stabilized now. I mean, the, the, the founder kind of released a plan on how he hopes to, to, to change everything. So they're going to do a, a hard fart with. They're, they're trying to pull an eat, eat, uh, eat the eat classic. Basically, yeah. what happened in 2016? Yeah, is that gonna work? Uh, no, it's it's not. I mean, it's 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 actually essentially not. It's gonna get, give a little bit of fade back, but but you, it's a lose at this point. I mean, like somebody shared an article that Binance was heavily involved in it as well. Yeah, really at the scale as it is, and it's just being a stable coin and just the, the reputation, personalities, venture capital around it. It's yeah. a different story compared to the, the DAO hack that happened in 2016 with Ethereum. And you, you had like, you know, other stakes there. And even within Ethereum, there were all internal struggles. So the, th the thing is that interesting, and this comes very close to what we've called MLMs in the past uh, concerning crypto, because the, the concept with, with Terra, like I like the concept of Terra, like how they, especially in Korea with the payments, like they already included that. The problem is now, just like with XRP, I think, these are two separate things. Like it's like having multiple, and that's something you see more often with, with with blockchain projects where like one entity is having some kind of like three coins 
that are being listed. And it's, it, I'm not sure how to explain it because even with games, you have the same thing, but it does worry me to a certain degree that it doesn't become kind of shifting. Like we try to balance it out. We try to balance out uh, a stable coin with another coin. And like, yeah. So not with another coin It's yeah, I, I guess you could call it another coin, but it's like that mechanism to get liquidity in the market. So you need to incentivize people to come into the market. So that's why the other coin was introduced in those high interest yeah. rates, right? So, uh, so that's worrying. I mean, that's yeah. worrisome. Like, I think when you disconnected, I mentioned like, instead of, you know, pumping uh, millions of dollars in marketing to attract users, they kind of inflated, artificially inflated the interest rates to subsidize that for a short term to pay out users. That's the anchor yeah, protocol. Marketing, it's a physical product. So I think from the mainstream perspective, like there's still two kind of concerns people have that I feel like, okay, you, you to some degree have a point. Uh, one I, I've let go now is the uh, ecological issue, but that I feel like the ecological issue is only an issue with Bitcoin. And, and that, that has been like debunked. It has been debunked. It's been, it has been debunked, but you, you can't, you can't really explain it to mainstream people, people in, who are mainstream yet. Like yeah. they, they don't fully understand it, but that's even something more with Bitcoin and not as much with the other altcoins. Like it's, Bitcoin does use a lot of energy, but the altcoins don't like on that level. Like, yeah, because from the mining principle is, is different. different. So, so it, it the kind UST of, is yeah. literally just a representation of a dollar. Like it's, yeah, it's a middle, how do you call it? Used, I can't say middleman, but middle asset basically. Yeah. To interact so, with so that thing. And then the second thing is, is what we just talked about. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's more kind of like a belief system. I mean, it is the world we live in now, that's something if you believe in something, you trust something, you're willing to invest in it. What so is it? that's, that's the utility part. That's the part where I, 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 I think, please. I think one of the best utilities, this terror situation, how bad it is in itself is to show people in a short time frame what hyperinflation is, what happened to Venezuela, what happened to Zimbabwe in a matter of days, weeks, happened in a few hours, then this algorithmic system simulated to a grand scale and what's slowly happening to the US dollar, I would say, if this continues on with, you know, how the, the government, the US government and the, the money supply is being handled right now. But what I find really interesting is that it hasn't disappeared yet. Like usually with this kind of projects and, and when this something this size happens, like this kind of hyperinflation happens, it just gets completely wiped off. Like it, it has been completely wiped off. Okay. It has been delisted at a lot of places. I think Binance had internal debates. I think they left it on after the debate, uh, but a lot of exchanges have delisted it. Yeah. It's get, getting that reboot. I'm not sure how the community is going to react to it. It's still on Kraken, it's still on Qcoin, it's still on Gate, it's still on UOB, it's still on FTX. That's a lot. Gemini, Bitfinex, 
bit tracks by bit. It's it's still there. Okay, maybe they stop the the trading part, and then again, I think some of the exchanges also wanted to roll back some trades that happened, and then this this is where it gets touchy because then you get intervention from the centralized uh, institution <laughs> stimulating the real world again. And, and and the most fascinating part, the volumes are insane. We're still talking about a volume of a billion dollars over the past. Yeah, because yeah, you have the people, like I, I was just YOLO, like just throw a few dollars in it if something happens in this world. But you, you have people who don't realize what's going on and, and they see like, Oh, 99%, this is a chance, like get in now. And they, they get burned even harder. No research done. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really curious because I feel like, and this is also apart from the exchanges, like the trust and the belief exchanges have in certain founders, because if you don't, if you don't trust them, they, you would have delisted the client already. I don't, that's one of the, here's my theory or deepness at this scale, there's a lot of venture capital and traditional markets involved behind the scenes as well. And this changes the, the playing field five years ago, six years ago, 2015, 16, you didn't have these institutional players. You didn't have these venture, huge venture backings yet with other stakes in mind. So these investors like backing the company want to salvage something, my theory, at least if you look at the traditional financial world. So the, the, the crypto world is getting kind of, you know, merged with the traditional investment type. And that's why so many assets are correlated with each other now. And if a big moves happen, it impacts the whole market which goes to show it isn't as mature yet, but even looking at the traditional stock market, like Netflix is significantly down. Well, what else is down? Like the SMP is down significantly. So all the tech companies, like most of the tech companies feels like Netflix is, is having a blockbuster moment with Disney taking over. The question I got asked today is in the past week, what's your best performing crypto? Best performing asset. Actually, yeah. I still had a Tron bag and for some reason, no. Tron maintained and pumped. <laughs> so I liquidated all my Tron. So I, I'd say oh, Tron, <laughs> but I, I have no Tron anymore. So that, but for the rest assets, like everything's down, like, uh, parallel to the Luna Terra incident, you also had the Azuki in this incident in NFT world, if you're talking about founders, like. Dope one from Terra, you know, a dog's founder, but the Azuki incident was, he was an un, anonymous founder. People didn't know who he was. And then I think another project found out another project team and they kind of forced him to reveal himself. And apparently he had started other projects that he kind of left and left with the money. So kind of soft rocks and this oh, wow. exposed the, the successful Azuki project. And like oh, wow. a lot of people liquidated and there was a lot of foot on Twitter. So then you have it again, like anonymity, how valid is it? If, if you're talking about 
big projects like this, big brands and big founders. Yeah. One year ago, anonymity was, you know, embraced and now people are going away from this because of the track record that these people kind of leave. And it's a very valid point because if you invest or, you know, put a stake in something, you, you do want to know what the track record is of, is of these founders. So that's why we're getting, it's, it's getting more mainstream because you have to know your customer part with the exchanges that they have to like have your identity. So that was the first step. Now people want to know who's actually the founder of the project. So we're moving kind of more towards mainstream, which is really interesting because it's even, it, it shows that we're actually going to mainstream. That is why I think the France is the, the perfect sweet spot between marrying the two worlds like together, especially get, as Gary V as an operator running it track record and kind of early in the web three, the crypto space as well, early as 2015, I think. So he, he has a certain understanding and, and network within both worlds. And I think he managed to, to a certain degree, at least start bridging the two and getting more adoption through education as well. So that's the other thing. And speaking of the friends, like the thing that's that, yeah, <clears throat> the thing that's bothering me about even the projects, even Gary's projects is that like so far it feels like, and this is my concern is like, get there in early, take your winnings and leave. And that's a concerning, I think that's a concerning thing. Like if it's, it's solely about the money, it's really like getting early, getting in early, selling, and then leave. And that's really disappointing. But that's it for the average person as well. Like a lot of people got life-changing gains, but uh, a lot of people got destroyed as well. Same thing happened in 1718. But one thing I do got to say, like if, if you follow the Discord communities, check what's happening. Yes, most of the people say, yeah, they came for the money. But most of them who are still there, they stayed for something else. And that's when you know, okay, you, you are doing something different. You are, the, the, the project does have some other substance in it. Yeah. But, but I mean, the, they're coming for the money, but just too enticing for, for you the know, You know, the hype culture, like, like this is the hype culture on, on steroids. Like, oh my God, something came out. I have to have the doers of the doers. It's like, you don't have to. You know, you, you don't, you really don't have to. And because it's so much hype culture, it's like, you really have to wait. And, and that's why I like the utility part, because if you have utility, at least you get something back for it. Yeah. If there's no utility. It's like, poof, well, it's gone. here's the thing about, okay, roadmaps and utility. The, the thing about, you know, having NFTs on the blockchain with a utility component as a project operator, the projects can always add utility in the future. Yeah, it can, it can. But, but, but to give the, to, to answer the question I asked earlier, my best performing asset over the past week was BS, uh, BUSD, just, just to give you like an idea how terrible the market is at the moment. <laughs> but that's back. <laughs> <laughs> that's back. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, but to give you a, give you an idea how terrible the, the week is, that's that's the best performing asset, USD. Like like there's there's nothing like that's the only one that's in zero point five percent green. The rest is like all red, 
and, and that's why I asked the question, like, I mean, of course we can't answer the question because like half a year ago, I was telling people like, listen, we're just getting started. This yeah. is going to drop and it's going to drop more. It's going to drop, it's going to drop hard. And when the Luna thing, when the Luna thing happened and like in the middle of the Luna thing, like everything went down, like a Bitcoin jumped under 30K, Ethereum jumped under 2K. And my wife sent me out a text saying like, how's your portfolio doing? <laughs> but I doesn't get involved, but she does know I do have portfolios. So she was like, how is your portfolio doing? And I was like, I kind of predicted this. So I put everything in NFTs. Actually, the NFTs are right. riskier. So actually, on the contrary. No, actually not. No, actually, actually not. I, I mean, the, the thing with the NFTs is, yes, it's riskier in the sense that it's, it's doer. But I do feel like I made the best gamble in saying like, listen, I'm going to use my Ethereum because I bought most of my NFTs with an Ethereum price of around 2.5K. Even if my portfolio on NFT goes down by 30%, it's still better outperforming Ethereum at the moment. Well, not necessarily. That's, does that mean like the, the NFT is holding its value or is that on the secondary market also crashing? No, well, here's the, the thing that I, I don't, I mean, I have NFTs that are low volume. You don't know what they're worth, but most of the NFTs that I have are kind of centralized in a way and they have a very high, I can sell them within seconds. Okay. If I list them to them. There's a liquidity, there's volume. They're just gone. You're gone. There's volume. There's, there's, there's massive volume. There's okay. massive no, volume. In, in that case, right. But in most both cases. My, both my game, both, both my game, game related, blockchain game related NFTs and my sports NFTs, I can sell them off instantly yeah. if I want to. There's, yeah. there's a high demand for this. Whereas, or, whereas the NFTs. On, 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 on OpenSea, for instance, or my NFTs in NFT showroom, not so much. No, not so much. <laughs> in, in value terms, uh, those are more high valued assets and there's less volume and less supply. So which makes these assets like highly illiquid. So there's no like immediate buyer. And that's kind of why I say it's more risky compared to the liquidity of regular crypto coins. But even, even if I, if I look back to when I did most of my adding credit to buy these NFTs, I'm, I'm pretty much up. Okay. No, that, but, that, uh, and that's also another thing that, yeah. Well, the, the only thing when you're feeling down is to just zoom out. Uh, you just got to look start of 2021. Are you up from the start of 2021? If yes, there's no reason yeah, to finish exactly. that. <laughs> If, if you're going to compare it to the start of 2022, that you're just punching yourself in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're punching yourself in the face. Definitely. Definitely. And even there, I think I'm only down 30%. Yeah. And just to put that into perspective, if you are in, if you are in the traditional market into tech stocks, you'd be down for some tech stocks, like 60%, 40%. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, the market no reason to general, like everything, 
everything is down. The, the U.S. dollar is inflated. The euro is inflated. Everything kind of. Speaking of the euro, I, I, I saw the latest exchange rate. Like it's almost one to one now. What the hell happened to Europe? I, I didn't follow yeah. the, the developments there, but I suddenly saw that. You kind of have an, an indication of where that comes from and what, but it, what kind of spiraled into it. I mean, like you, you can't pinpoint it, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. They changed something in, in 71, like a lot of things changed in 71. So. Oh, oh did, did, did you see my post Andrei, to, uh, yeah. WTF in 1971? I, I, I shared it on Facebook. Yeah. 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 So, and uh, Andrew Jake and, made a video. YouTuber. Yeah. Andrew Jake was, yeah, made a video out of the website. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. And it's, it's kind of, oh, the, the, the conspiracy, the conspiracy theorists will have a field day with this one. They will. Yeah. I, I actually the heard and then found it through Andre. The World Economic Forum. Yeah, I, I didn't find it through Andre at first. Yeah. I actually yeah. found it a few months ago through Robert Breedlove explaining it to Tom on the, the, the website. Yeah. And 1971 is basically when uh, the US dollar got off the gold standard officially. And then things happened. If you haven't but seen it's it, it's very interesting how the Andre Jake did it forum was founded in 1971. Yeah, because conspiracy theorists are going to have a field day with it. Just the fact that. It, it coincided with the World Economic Forum, yeah. and now the World Economic Forum wants to do the Great Reset, and that's, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's feeding the conspiracy theorists on, on the involvement of the World Economic Forum, kind of putting us into this mess. Well, it's not them, of course, but. There's uh, multiple factors that lead on each other. Some may be it's correlated, just, some it's not. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it fits so perfectly and for, for those who want to kind of like put all the blame on and avoid looking at the rest just to say like, Hey man, this, this is what really happened. We got the, the, the other one that was massive, like the price of real estate, like skyrocketed, like back then, I'm not sure if that applies to our local real estate uh, market as well. Yeah, but, definitely. You know, and 50, 50 oh, years yeah. ago, you, you need to save like three years worth of annual income to be able to buy a house and now it like multiplied to 10 years. Oh, good luck with that. But also good luck with that in countries like Suriname, a developing country. Like a buying a car, like a brand new car. Let's see here. Yeah. I think, yeah. Coming back to the, the WT happened to 1971. Check out the video of Andre Cech. He, he made a pretty nice breakdown on it. And if you're interested in more deeper content, I, I definitely recommend Checking out Robert Breedlove from, he has his own show, What Is Money Podcast. Very interesting as well. But having that said, I think, Jan, look, we can close it up with some over-under. I actually prepared this week. Uh, I have a whole list. Oh, wow. Or uh, show. So I, I, I've been being more proactive on, you know, okay. preparation. Okay. Getting back into the, that, that zone. But yeah, I, I'm giving you the opportunities to start this time before you say I still yours again. Oh, wow. No, I, I don't have anything well prepared. So let's just, because you mentioned shows, which, in, which you mean like shows in, in general, like our show, but I also actually have some questions about Netflix shows. So is Casa de Papel overrated or underrated? I can't attest to it because I never watched it. So I'm going to say just because it's so overrated, oh, wow. I'm going to say it's overrated. If you haven't watched it, it's overrated for you, at least. Okay. Yeah. We had it about streaming. 
And this is a category, a subcategory that's happening in a lot of Twitch is uh, VTubers, overrated or underrated? Well, you have to, you have to elaborate with that. VTubers. Yeah. Okay. I'm surprised you haven't seen this, but it is actually a category on its own. So VTubers are actually, the, the term came from virtual YouTubers. So what is this? The, the streamers actually create a character. Usually it's an anime character and it face tracks them and everything. And they are this character on screen. <laughs> okay. I, I've seen it. I didn't know. Yeah. That, that's the term VTubers. So now that you have your context, VTubers, overrated or underrated? From a broader picture, it's probably underrated, but from my personal opinion, it's heavily, heavily overrated. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can I mean, it does work for some people. I'll, I'll give an, an example. I, I have some people I work on the show very badly, but don't want their face shown. So for them, this would be a perfect solution. Yeah, definitely. And that's usually why people use VTubers as well. Instead of their face, it's usually people who don't want to appear on cameras, usually girls as well. The, the gender demographic is, is leaning more to females. One that I do want to mention that's kind of like pushing the tech boundary. If you haven't heard of Code Miko before, I definitely suggest looking that one up. Like she's experimenting with the tech, like motion capture, bodysuit and everything to create a 3D model in the virtual space and pushing the boundaries of what we can do with tech and kind of on the side, sharing that journey on Twitch. And so became a Twitch personality, so to speak. Uh, sorry, sorry. So, so could you, I, I'm not sure if you heard the last part, but I don't understand if, if somebody wants recognition for what they do, right? Why would they? not show their face. Like I understand it for like people who don't want to show their face. But yeah, there's different reasons. One, uh, I mentioned when you cut off, but I'm going to restate it here and also come with an example from the other side. So I think there's different reasons why people would either they don't want to show their face, not confident, or want to detach their personal to a fictional character, like performing uh, as a fictional character. And on the other side, I think it's also a certain culture. Uh, a lot of these VTubers are very anime focused. So you also have that kind of niche culture enjoying this type of content. But on the other side, there's a VTuber called Miko that's actually pushing the boundaries on the tech side. And coincidentally, she sharing this on her stream and kind of is also a Twitch streamer, but she has like full motion capture, bodysuit and everything. And wow generates the model in Unreal Engine. Uh, so she's like really tech uh, oriented to push the boundaries on like real facial expressions, kind of hair movement and like high fidelity rendering on the fly with motion capture. So, and she's like, she, she also shows her face, but she's like this alternate character within her Twitch that pushes the boundaries on what's possible with the tech. So that could be a glimpse into like what would be possible in a future looking metaverse, basically. That's really interesting. So, so what I, I want to go into an over-under based on that, which is a little bit different, but since we made the switch, is cosplay, cosplay overrated or underrated? 
I'd say underrated, especially from a cultural standpoint. Cultural and pop culture. Yeah, it's, it's underrated from that perspective because one, it's in tremendous expression of creativity. It's a way for fans to engage with the IP, the intellectual property they care about. So be it from the West, like Marvel, DC Comics, Spider-Man costumes, it's a way to spin off, you know, off IP events. You have these huge Comic Cons events and people just enjoy it. It's a way to connect to that, that culture, but also creatively, what can you make with limited assets. Can you remake that Iron Man suit? Some people really, really, really go to the intricacies to remake an Iron Man suit with all those details. And just that just goes to show on craftsmanship. So from that perspective, I'd, I'd say it's heavily underrated. Just got kicked out. <laughs> okay. Uh, did, did you hear the last part? No, no, no. Yeah, I learned the last part, but we still need to do one more. Under, over yeah, let, let's do one more to uh, cap it off. So in the same train of thought on, you know, these topics, intellectual property rights, overrated or underrated? I think it's properly rated. I think it's overrated from the perspective that you feel like you have this original idea, so it's yours. Like a lot of people think that they came up with the idea, but they did not. Like there was somebody else who at the same time or around the same time had the same idea. But from a perspective of ownership of the idea, it's good to have intellectual property rights. So I think yeah, I'm, I'm mixed on this one because I feel like I completely agree with people giving away their intellectual property because in the end, it's about what you can make from it instead of mm. just saying like, I own the rights to it. So from that perspective, but then from the other perspective, it is like, you should accredit the person who came up with a certain version that you've used. Like it's, 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 it's kind of, at this point, it's more about, how do I put this correctly? It's more about being, being empathic and, and paying respects to the person who kind of uh, inspired you or you took the base from, um, uh, more than and it is like, it, it should be a thing of statement. Yeah. And especially when it comes to creative pursuits, right? Like if it's a technological innovation, yeah, then, then you go a step further with patenting, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're talking about creations like Disney IP, et cetera, like Spider-Man, Mickey Mouse, and maybe if you're going modern, like the board API club and open source software to software development as well, you kind of spark more creativity. To be honest, to, to be completely honest, if people were better at distinguishing quality from knockoffs, we wouldn't need intellectual property rights. We just wouldn't. But, but what is quality or what is a knockoff? Some knockoffs are better than originals. Yeah, but it's, it's just general perception. And it's like, like, at, at, the quality thing is, is arbitrary. It's, it's kind of objective. So yeah. I own, yeah, yeah, subjective. So I own a Michael Jordan, like a Jordan brand shoe from Carmelo Anthony. I bought it in China. I knew for a fact it wasn't, it wasn't 
real. It wasn't made. It wasn't a real Jarda tune. But that shoe lasted. When, when I was done with the shoe, I gave it to a friend who played hockey and was a goalkeeper in hockey. And it was really useful because it has like the high uh, mm, yeah. frame. So it goes over the ankles. And he played hockey with it at least for two years when I kind of was said and done with the shoe. That's how strong the shoe was. Even though if you would lift the lid up, you could see like all the stitches, like how it was stitched together. Like it was like really, you could see this was a market shoe, which I bought like for an insane price, which I can't buy shoes now anymore. But it was a knockoff. But then again, if you look at quality, like value, maybe not the quality, but the value that it had for me, it was like the greatest deal I could ever get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, from that perspective, it becomes tricky. But like, if you buy a knockoff of something, which happens quite often in the online space as well, like part of me says also kind of like, you have to know what's worth more than the other. And if something has more value for you than it has for somebody else, I mean, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm kind of torn on this topic and subject because there are, of course, situ certain, certain situations where intellectual property rights are important. I, I think, uh, it's it, yeah, with, with intellectual property rights, I think the, it comes that's some, some that's becoming more, I guess, annoying and prevalent is big corporation kind of abusing it, I would say like, oh, you can't uh, do that. You yeah, but how much can you, so, so I think abusing is, it's, it's hard. It's, it's yeah, maybe too hard of a word abusing, but no, no, when, kind of. if, if they, if you buy it, if, if they buy it from you for a couple of millions of dollars, I mean, you can't really complain, can you? Like you decided to sell it off. Yeah, uh, that's uh, for, for your creation. Yeah, and, and but in case of in a case of Facebook stealing literally everything from hashtags to checking in to a live video to uh, okay. Story. The other thing is to realize what all those things that I just mentioned weren't things that were on the Facebook platform before they were already in yeah. somewhere else, but. Then again, um, most of them often don't work, but also they have the user base to make it relevant enough that enough people use it that they can decide to keep it or not. And they're different in that perspective from Google who kind of puts things in the graveyard when they feel it hasn't progressed over time enough. So yeah. Okay. But then we're talking about products and features. Yes. Google killed a lot of. Useful products. I used to use some great products and it killed. <laughs> <laughs> it's very common at Google. But coming back to the inter intellectual property, I, I think it's a nuance on, especially creative inter intellectual property, like idea-based intellectual property. Because at the end of the day, nothing is original. No, from a creative, from a creative perspective, here's the problem that I have with it. When people take your intellectual property and they make something of it, which is worse. <laughs> like I don't, I, if you take my intellectual property and you make something that's better, I'm actually pretty happy. I'm pretty damn excited. 
but even that, that is subjective. Why, no, no, but that's that's my ikigai. Like I, I just don't want that. Like, but when you take my intellectual property and you make something with it, which is completely disgusting, where tens of different companies are like, this is a terrible idea. Was this yours? And I'm like, oh wow. You know? Yeah. Well, that is something completely different. When it's detrimental to the public image of the brand, then yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of the property. When it's like you've created something that's really good and people run with it and they make it something that's terrible because they don't implement it from the same vision that you've created for the intellectual property. That's that's where I, I get like cringy and like ah, I don't want it. That's, that's okay. where the point is like, okay, let's, let's put it in so that it's supposed to be. So, so I, I have an interesting idea what we should try to do. We, we touched some very interesting over-unders. I think we should look for a VTuber to have on the show. We should have a cosplayer and we should look for someone doing something with intellectual property. But what is the other one we, we missed? I, I missed one. There's a lot. Yeah. We, you want, you want like one of the actors from Casa de Papel on the show as well. Sure. Let's go. Right. <laughs> so, well, let's, let's make the commitment to each other that we reach out to at least three people between now and Thursday and I have to see what, when we can book them in. I think that would be a good commitment and also something to close off it, which gives our viewers also something to look forward to. All right. Yeah, I guess. This is actually a fun one. Went different directions. But in all in all, awesome to be back. Looking forward. We actually didn't touch on Decon, but I think we can definitely talk about it afterwards. So Yeah, I think I think we should I think we should bring some I, Oh speaking I can definitely reach out to some of the community guys, try to get one of them yeah. out. We should, yeah, we should definitely do that. With that being said, the audio version of this will be uploaded this weekend, right? And then yep. we'll be back with a brand new episode next week, same place, same time. This was Social Confos. Thank you for tuning in. Bye-bye.